0: Good day and welcome to another B2B exclusive. Our guest today is Paul Locke, Chairman and Managing Director at Pan Asian Metals. Pan Asian Metals trades on the Australian Stock Exchange under the ticker PAM. Good day, Paul. Thank you for joining us today on B2B Interviews.
1: Yep, thanks, Todd. Thank you for having me.
0: Paul, I thought you might begin with a brief introduction and overview of the company's projects and present operations.
1: Okay, so uh, Pan-Asia Metals is a South, primarily Southeast Asian focused uh, exploration company, and we're focusing on specialty metals. So we've been operating in Southeast Asia. Well, the uh, chief geologist, David Hobby, and myself have been operating up there since 2013. Uh, Pan-Asia Metals was founded in 2017, um, which was uh, really the culmination of our activities prior to that and then we listed Pan-Asia on the ASX uh, last October, on the 8th of October. We listed with four assets, two primary assets, our Rhiong Kiet lithium project, which is in Southern Thailand. It's a lipidolite style project. Uh, The Kaosun tungsten project in Southern Thailand, which is a a wolframite style project. Then we have a smaller lipidolite style lithium project North of our uh, main project in Thailand called Bang Now. And in Australia, we have a project called the Minter Tungsten Project, which is uh, in the Lockdown Fold Belt. Uh, it's uh, in a good corridor with a lot of tin and tungsten mineralisation. And uh, it's not really, doesn't fit our low cost uh, model, uh, but there are certain aspects of that project which make it interesting to us.
0: All right, very interesting. So, Paul, expand a bit more, if you would, on some of these core assets. Give us a better sense for where you are today in terms of exploration, drilling, studies, resources, et cetera.
1: Okay. So, I'll start with the Carson tungsten project. That's the project we've uh, done the most work on. We actually first um, acquired this project in 2014. And uh, late last year and early this year, we had license renewed. Uh, So uh, we're in the second phase of five-year license cycle um, with five years to go effectively. The Carsoon tungsten project um, has an area of about 40 square kilometres. It originally started at around 100 square kilometres and we chopped off block as it became uh, superfluous to what we were doing. Uh, What we like about Carsoon is the uh, mineralisation. So it's a wolframite which has certain advantages uh, when processing to produce uh, uh, intermediate products such as APT. Um, The mineralisation is at surface, so it's a a breccia part uh, system uh, coming from a granite about a kilometre down and uh, with surface exposures. Uh, On the project, we have around 10 prospects. We've been exploring four and from those four prospects, we generated an exploration target, a jork exploration chart target, which is drill supported of 15 to 29 million tonnes at 0.2 to 0.4% WO3, which in the world of tungsten is, um, they're pretty good grades. The, um, so the project has around 10 prospects. Um, we have been drilling. Um, two of those prospects since we listed. So when we listed, we'd started drilling before we listed. We've been drilling ever since. We moved from the project uh, in mid-January across to our lithium project. Since listing, we drilled about 1,500 metres of diamond drilling in 17 holes on two prospects. The purpose of this drilling was to uh, infill and extend um, our uh, previous drilling, which was supporting the exploration target. Um, and then from there, uh, take the project through to a chalk resource and start metallurgical studies. So the drilling campaign was quite successful, particularly on one of our prospects called Tanpo West, which is about a kilometre long. Uh, that's still open, a long strike. It's still open down dip. And we've got intersections up to 50 metres, so a mineralisation zone from surface at about 50 metres thick. Uh, with grades of wo 3 up to uh, up a percent in some intersections. So, quite a rich prospect. We expect to take that project through to a scoping study this year and hopefully nearer to the end of the year, a, a, a PFS. The Rionquet project um, is a former tin mine. I'm oh, sorry, back on the tungsten project, that was mined in the 70s. As a tungsten project, it was, the ore was shipped there, so directly to Japan. Uh, apparently from the literature, it was one of the cleanest ores uh, they've ever received. And um, in our testing, there are very few deleterious elements in it. So it's a very clean um, ore. The Lipidolite project, a uh, um lithium project, sorry, is a Lipidolite style project there are two companies um, on the ASX with lipidolite, uh, the other being uh, Lipidico LPD. The reason we like Lepidolite Lipidi- um, is based on um, peer work, uh, feasibility work. Uh, it's potentially at the bottom of the cost curve from an um, operating cost perspective. That's an all-in-sustainable cost perspective, producing lithium hydroxide. And on a capex per tonne of um Uh, per LCE um, and equivalence, it's the lowest on the capex cost curve. And you don't need to be producing or mining a million tonnes a year um, uh, to make it work. So we're very excited about that because that allows for a small footprint, Um, there's very low waste, uh, and um, that'll, that'll be pretty attractive to the government in Thailand and also to the local communities. The project itself has around two and a half kilometres of strike in a larger, uh, about 12-kilometre trend. Mm -hmm. Along this trend, there's a lot of um, old tin pits, tin mining. So uh, in the Pangna district in southern Thailand, that was one of the largest producers of tin um, in the 60s and 70s, a bit behind Perak in Malaysia, which I think globally was the largest producer of tin, but it was still a very large producer. The two projects we're looking at, one is called the Rionkiet Lithium Prospect and the other one is called the Bangi Tum Prospect. They were both operating tin mines in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, when a uh, British geology, geologist and his team called Garson uh, were, were working on um, with the Thai government to determine the mineralisation, the opportunities in southern Thailand, and he came across the uh, The distinct purple hue of lipidolite um, and did a lot of work on it and and discovered that these these tin mines carried lithium and lipidolite and muscovite. Uh, No work was, the the mines sort of, they shut down in the 70s and no work had been done on the mines until um, the uh, 2013 or 14. Um, We actually made applications for the projects in 2016 and we're awarded them in 2019. So um, uh, right now we've drilled at the uh, real prospect, uh, just a few exploratory holes. Uh, there is mineralization there. We did a lot of trenching. We've got some very high grades. Uh, one trench, 100 metres in length um, has a combined, I think, 26 uh, metres of uh, dikes grading at 1.41% LI2. Um, uh, LI2O. Uh, we're over the Bangi-Tung prospect, which is the larger of the two now, drilling under the tin pit. Um, we can't assay. We normally use a handheld XRF to in the field to get a feel for what we're drilling, but because it's lithium, uh, the XRF doesn't work. Uh, so um, we're just going by the core, but we've hit um, pegmatite, a first hole, there's around 25 metres of uh, pegmatite. Um, over a uh, width of around 70 meters, so it looks pretty interesting. We're on the second hole now, and then we'll move um, to some other areas where we've got a lot of lipid light exposures.
0: So, so Paul, if you would, uh, briefly give us a, a better sense for the infrastructure, um, as well as the political climate within that region, as it relates to resource exploration, development, production.
1: So, um Thailand is not a big resource producer, um, so there's not a lot of, there aren't a lot of peer companies there mining. Uh, most listeners are probably aware of a company, Australian-listed company called Kingsgate, who um, had their gold operation suspended. Um, it's still murky about what happened. It was suspected by the government that the mine was uh, uh, leeching, um. Uh, into the water table um, uh, of arsenic and uh, something else. Uh, They um, suspended the uh, metallurgical licence, which meant that they couldn't actually mine uh, for some time, and that's going through arbitration. Uh, That's close to resolved, um, and the government and Kingsgate have been negotiating or communicating on that, and Kingsgate just got awarded um, or just lodged a lot of new applications, which means things are happening there. But other than that, there's not a lot of Western mining. Um, There's a little bit of exploration, uh, but not much. Uh, uh, We've been there for a long time. We've got a full-time team. um, We work very closely with the government and we've got a strong relationship. And in these countries in Southeast Asia, um, it's really about relationships. You've got to be able to um, work well with your community, um, that favours well with the government, and you've got to work well with the government. Um, the infrastructure around the projects is very good. Uh, there's the, Thailand has a population of around 70 million. In the areas we're working, um, there's a lot of um, small agriculture and some small towns, and uh, there are a lot of roads. So we can just about access our projects uh, 365 days a year. Um, 24-7, even though it's a monsoonal area. The, um, uh, there's a lot of energy around, uh, so we've got no problems with access to energy, access to ports. And for all of our inputs, um, we've got the industrial centers of Thailand and Malaysia, where we should be able to access mainly acid, but any other chemicals and equipment we need.
0: In closing, let's recap, if you would leave us with a few quick points why should investors consider Pan Asian Metals as a long-term investment opportunity?
1: Okay, so um, when when I look at exploration companies, um, I see two types of companies. So obviously, every exploration company—well, not every, but most exploration companies—want to secure an asset and um, and develop that into a project and become a cash flow generator. Um, you do get some exploration companies really who are looking to put their foot on a block and then um, uh, spin it out to someone else. But I see a lot of exploration companies which um, are just following the, tr- the trend. So it could be, a, um, you know, uh, one day it's lithium, then it's cobalt and then it's gold. And whatever the trend is, you look at some of these companies and they'll pick up an asset and fill up their treasury and they're right for a, another you know, a year or so uh, to do what they're doing. Then you get real exploration companies who want to build a portfolio of projects which um, uh, have the potential to be economically viable. And that's what we want to be. So whenever we look at a, com- a project, we're looking at projects where we can see a realistic pathway to um, something that can be developed and, How we do that um, is we look at the mineralisation, the operating environment, um, the potential metallurgy, and all of this is subject to feasibility, but on a best endeavours basis, when we put our foot on a project, can the project operate in the lowest third of the cost curve? Um, uh, Will the metallurgy work based on what we know? Are we in the right operating environment for it to work? And are, are our markets nearby? And that's why we like Southeast Asia. We've got all of our inputs there. It is a low-cost operating environment and we've got our markets uh, nearby. But more importantly, um, it's underexplored. So there are a lot of opportunities. And I know a lot of companies like Australia and Canada, safest houses jurisdictions, and I agree with them, uh, but you're tripping over each other uh, to get assets. So investors, when they look at PanAsia, They're looking at a management team who are out of the box when we look at a project. We want a project which really has legs. And no one can ever tell until you produce a feasibility study or until you've drilled. But realistically, can our projects um, uh, be something more than an exploration project for waving the flag? But further still, we're really interested in projects where we can take the product downstream and value-add. So one step of value-adding. So in the case of lithium, um, uh, lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide, changes your customer base substantially, and particularly in tungsten, moving one step downstream to APT, um, you move from a customer base of several traders to a customer base, much larger customer base of several of many APT consumers. Then if you can move past that, um, um, it's a completely different ballgame. So, ultimately, we're looking for projects where we can value add and at some point we would rather be seen as a chemical or industrial company if we get far far enough downstream. So, for investors, when they invest in our company, they're investing in a management team who's actually really looking a bit further downstream and sometimes it's not comfortable at the front end of project discovery where you spend a few dollars or you find something that looks really exciting but you have to let it go despite all the potential flag waving you can do, because it just won't work.
0: Well, Paul, that is certainly a very interesting story, a very interesting investment opportunity. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for joining us on B2B Interviews. Thanks,
1: Todd. I really appreciate the opportunity. Our guest
0: today has been Paul Locke, Chairman and Managing Director at Pan-Asian Metals. Pan Asian Metals trades on the Australian Stock Exchange under the ticker PAM.